Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the incomparable network of podcasts. Today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 9 of Supergirl, Rain. I'm your host, David Schaub. I'm Brianna Teuber. And I'm Dan Drush. Here's the recap. A-plot. Sam hasn't forgotten herself, but she's now Rain at night. Ruby is not impressed with her mom's work-life supervillain balance. Rain leaves Kryptonian sigils all around town. Supergirl eventually gives up detectiving and calls Rain out. Rain beats Kara down, almost killing her. B-plot. Kara is having difficulty with having Monel around. After chats about the future and embarrassing rib eating, Monel, Emra, and Monel again try to talk to Kara. Kara understands that they mean well, but she isn't coping well. C-plot. Lena and James have been flirting for weeks. James invites himself to play Lena's bodyguard. Lena kisses him, and they make out. So there's definitely some stuff happening with this plot. There's, it feels like there's far more movement in this episode than the previous ones. So how about we move forward going through some of the relationship plots before handling our big baddie of this week? So what did everyone think about the changes or very slow progression in Kara and Manel's complicated situation? I just can't help but feeling really bad for her. Because she was so in love with him, and now he's had plenty of time to move on, and she's just having to deal with this, and it's gotta be hard. Because I think part of her is still in love with him, and now she sees him married to someone else, and that has to suck a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Although, I do I do think that uh, Monel and his new wife do seem pretty perfect for each other, especially in their, um, in their non-understanding of... 21st century Earth culture and all the weird things that they say, like, oh, it's what? Food until you're full, right? It reminds me of what is science? I just thought they were compatible in that they both like Kara so much, and that hurts Kara so much. Yeah, no, I, Monel and Emra, they're, I like them together because you can see how hard it is for Kara, but I feel like she can't really hate them together. Because they work really well together, and it's not hard to see Monel care- cares about Emra a lot. And I'm kind of curious to hear more about their story and how they got to know each other and just how long it took him to be able to move on. I'm pretty sure that they do not have the budget to ever show us that, so we may have to have to hope maybe they do a comic sometime or some such They might thing. talk about it. Just sort of like maybe when Kara is in a better place about it, maybe she and him just sit there and just swap stories. That could still be weird, but depending on how they handle it. Well, there is still a darkness out there, which hasn't been really explained at all. So there still might be something else we're going to learn about the future. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll have a chance to stop the darkness before it spreads. Yeah. Related topic to that, uh, what did you guys think about when they were talking about the Legion? That just sounds cool, because I'm a huge superhero nerd, so just the thought of a Legion of superheroes. I wonder, if, do we know if they're going to do a show related to that or not? Because that would be great. I would definitely watch that. I know there's certainly been shows where we've seen Supergirl go into the future and fight with the Legion, and I think in one of the animated series, she stayed there because she fell for one of the Brainiacs. So it's also interesting that it's Monel that ended up in the future and falling in love with someone in the future rather than Supergirl. But I don't know how many variations of this storyline there's been in the comics. 
Yeah, from what I've heard from people who have like seen the comics and all of the different shows, the storyline gets a little complicated and it varies a lot and they keep rebooting the universe. Comics would never do that. I think there is still definitely a question as to why they're back here. We don't know if we really have the full story yet. I have this hope that something is going to possibly explain Monel's amazingly evasive behavior in the episode where he shows up. And so far, nothing in this episode explains it. So it, it still seems bizarre in Wake Up. Who knows? It may even have some sort of connection to the big bad of the season or a big bad that's going to be coming up in a later story arc. That's how I would do it. The one thing I thought was mean is in the previous episode, they had given us that one light point where Kara and Monel were discussing going to some rib place. And as far as I can tell, they only had that nice happy moment in that episode just to use it as a knife to twist in this episode, which seemed awfully cruel. Yeah, you can't have your characters being too happy. No, it's a CW show. There always has to be relationship drama. They fix it and then they break it and then they fix it again. Like, I still, I remember I was so mad when they first sent Monel off, and then he came back, and I'm like, yes, my ship will sail again. And then they broke it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I do kind of wonder if they had actually intended to do this at the time, but honestly, I expect they simply put Monel into a hole where they could pull him up however they wanted to, and this is how they decided to pull it up. I don't know how much pre planning there was for this. Anyway, there are more. CW relationship dramas going on in this episode because we also have Lean and James entering into some type of relationship. And I was wondering what everyone thought about that transition and whether everyone else had seen all of this flirting that had been going on beforehand that uh, I had yeah, somehow missed. Yeah, it felt kind of weird to me in this episode. Like, they really hit us over the head with the flirting. Yeah, it, it was interesting because starting out, they kind of butted heads, but then they started to sort of build that relationship to where they could better understand each other and have more respect for each other. But it's one of those, I didn't see the whole flirting thing until they started pointing it out, but I feel like with their two characters and just sort of the how they are with like putting others first and wanting to make the world a better place, I think it could work out. Also, I love Lena, so she deserves to be happy. And if James hurts her, I might have to kill him. <laughs> yeah, Lena's been one of my favorite characters for a while. I can't tell what I feel about some aspects of this relationship, though, because they put a, a bit of a lantern on it. But it is still true that Lena is his boss, and that does seem, to say the least, a little inappropriate. But then I don't even know if I think I like how James just suddenly takes on this role of I'm going to go with you to places whether or not you want me to or not, and I'm going to act your bodyguard. Well, aspects of the relationship that felt a little off to me, just in terms of sort of how they constructed it, let alone how rushed it felt. Like, they only recently just got on a first-name basis. There were bits I liked. I really liked uh, Lena threatening to kill her friends. That was pretty amusing, even though she did actually try and kill someone earlier in the season. But there's aspects of the relationship that just feel... Either rushed or just out of place. Kara and Monel had to uh, go to you know DEO HR, so I'm sure that uh, Lena and James will have to go to Catco HR and report this. Yeah, well, it depends on where they decide to go with it, because they it 
could be just sort of a fling. It could be something serious. It could be a one-time thing. You never know. I they, The way they set it up, it could go either way. I think they left it ambiguous on purpose so they could see how people reacted before they decide for sure which route to commit to. I did enjoy seeing a slightly off-kilter, embarrassed Lena. It was an, an interesting side of her character we don't get to usually see. Yeah, she she played that part well. And as I said, she deserves to be happy. It's a last guy that she had feelings for. Didn't he end turn up as like a little army of robots or something? He w- Yeah, he was he was made into a, a nanobite army and she had to yeah. put him down, which is So tough. maybe something normal, even if it doesn't go anywhere, will be good for her. Did anyone have anything else to discuss regarding those two relationships or shall we move on to the big gay plot of the episode? Let's move on. Yes, let's move on to Sam and Rain. That's an interesting relationship. <laughs> I can't tell if I think I'm right or wrong in the previous episode where I was assuming that Sam was going to be wiped off the map and we were going to be left with a cookie-cutter villain. I really did not expect that Sam would be wiped off the map half the time. We'd be left with this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde plot, and Rain is still just a cookie-cutter villain. I Yeah, yeah. I feel about the same. Yeah, I'm like, she's powerful. She has a kind of interesting design, but why would a Kryptonian goddess, I think is what she thinks she is, why would she care about humans? Like, why does she suddenly want to destroy humans? It's like, they say she was created to do that, but I'm like, she was from Krypton. Why does she care anything about Earth? I think there's often this idea of an alien war machine being sent out to space, dropped on planets, and expected to take it over. I mean, it, there's a lot of stories out there that cover that plot. And I, I would interpret the world killers as being that kind of product, perhaps, where they're sent off to do that. But maybe they were supposed to do this on Krypton, and this is just where she happens to be. I'm not sure. I really quite like them bringing back the the cult leader. I think they used him remarkably well on this episode. But just stepping forward to that part, they had him list the things that's going to happen, which was sort of the three phases. And the first one was the mark of the beast. And the second one is, as far as I can tell, killing evil men. And then the third one is taking over the world. And it was the step from two to three that makes exceptionally little sense to me. Because there's all this talk about the sort of warped view of justice. It, and this sort of, because I guess this sort of, the arc has a religious tone to its own way. I think they're setting him up to be a sort of prophet figure. And I think we can all agree prophecies are always super vague. And 10 times out of 10, they are horribly misinterpreted and overused. So so that, that could explain why you don't know how it goes from one step to the other. A couple other things. I'd like to step through the plot a little more closely. We have this thing where Sam wakes up and she has no memory of going on the trip. I'm assuming that trip only took like a day and this is sort of the next day. And Sam, because Sam doesn't seem to know what time it is. I wonder if she knows what day it is. I'm trying to understand how she is accomplishing all of this stuff without Ruby finding out. I think Ruby's slightly suspicious, but I guess Rain is just super sneaky. Yeah, she does all her stuff in the middle of the night, so. But this comes back to the whole, I don't understand why they're going down this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde path. Like, why would Rain bother trying to hide? There's a bunch of transitions in this 
episode where she must go from Rain back to Sam remarkably quickly. And she has to hide it not only from Ruby, who she sometimes like wakes up in the same bed as, as well as Sam herself, where she stashing all of this stuff. Does this Sam not actually know? It just seems very weird construction for a villain that whenever she's Rain is pretty dull. As I theorized earlier, I think they're I think they might be fighting for control. Like they're two different entities in the same body, sort of. Because they're, they're Sam and then there's Rain, so they might be fighting for control with neither of them reali- really realizing it. Or at least Sam not realizing it. Yeah, they may not be aware of each other. too. And it does certainly seem that Sam is generally more flustered, like we go to the, party, the, the Christmas party scene where Sam is amazingly flustered getting there and all of that. And it, it feels like, and she's discussing how she's always tired, like clearly Rain being in control of some of the time is causing some stress on her. Can we talk about the Christmas party scene? I actually really, really like that scene. I I especially like, yeah, I especially liked John and his dad, like how John absolutely loves Jingle Bell Rock and his dad loves hot cocoa and it's just so wholesome and, and nice. Yeah, I have to say that I really quite like that Papa Bear, as John is named, really does like Empire Strikes Back, but I don't know if I can forgive him for liking Jingle Bell Rocks, which I still think is a horrible, horrible song. I was kind of hoping it was going to be Sleigh Ride, because I always say it, you, it's never Christmas until you've heard that song like six times on the radio in an hour. I was also a little surprised at that party that we got to see Ruby there, and again we got to see how Alex does like interacting with children, though I did briefly have the question of what in the world are they going to have her drink, because they didn't know that these people could make a drink that was not alcoholic. They can make hot chocolate. Maybe that's why John's dad liked it so much. I don't know. Have they introduced their newest alien friend to alcohol? I feel like that would be really entertaining to see, actually. I quite like that hot chocolate also because it is potentially a bit of a call to the Martian manager's generally love of Oreo cookies. Uh, sort of a hot chocolate with whipped cream sounds sort yeah. of down that alley. Dang it, now I'm craving hot chocolate with whipped cream on top. So when they left the party, I was just thinking, okay, you know, John and Alex, they kind of have an excuse because people know their agents, but what? Did, how did Kara explain to Lena and Sam why she was leaving? That's a good question, because I don't think Kara could claim it was something work-related. Lena would be like, no, it's not. Well, I mean, you, you could argue that as a reporter, it might make sense, and Half the people at the party, or more than half the people at the party, know what's going on, so maybe they can cover it up. But I agree, I had exactly the same thought. That, well, Alex isn't going, and all the other people from CatCo aren't going, so why is it just these two? And it did seem a little odd to me as well. I mean, I also had the question of, if that was burnt relatively recently, when in the world did Sam have a chance to burn that one? Well, also buying cookies. That could have been why she was late. That is almost the implication that maybe like she had to quickly go off, burn a field, and then try and get some cookies and then pick up Ruby. I really want to know what Sam's scheduling looks like. It must be an incredibly complicated schedule to try and do everything she was doing before. Oh, she also now has to be a supervillain half the time. Yeah. Also, when does she change clothes and where does she keep that very, very interesting outfit? What about I that mask? Or her makeup. And I 
And unless whenever rain takes over, the outfit magically changes. There, there's a lot of questions that they and they've dug themselves in a nice little hole trying to explain it. We do see her do the same thing that Kara does all the time. Is later on when she leaves Catco, she rips her shirt open and destroys a huge number of buttons and reveals the the suit underneath it. But it doesn't explain the mask and it doesn't explain why Ruby doesn't notice that her mother is wearing a alien costume underneath her clothes. It just seems a little strange, but you kind of have to give that because you have to give that to Supergirl doing yeah, it all the time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Supergirl's shirts don't actually have buttons. They're probably snaps, so you don't ruin your shirt each time. Or she's just gotten really good at sewing buttons. They are super fast. True, but if you go super fast sewing buttons, I feel like Kara would probably... I, would say sta- I was going to say stab herself in the finger with the needle, but if she did that, she'd probably break the needle several times. Because I think sewing needle versus superhero, the needle's not going to win that fight. Also, right after those burning shapes show up, and Kara has a chat with her mum pewter about what the shapes mean. And of course, Kara's mum's AI can't answer it at all, which does lead me to the point of Kryptonians yet again show their slight fascist tendencies by deleting history and getting rid of all the things they don't like. Yeah. Yeah. At least this time it isn't like, I'm not allowed to talk about that. It's, I legitimately have no information on this. Yeah. I still can't get used to uh, Erica Durrance's Kara's uh, mom, especially after, like, in the first season, like, the actress was so important because it was her twin sister who's the big bad. And, like, uh, it's just, every time I see it, I'm like, no, that doesn't work. I can kind of cope with it more than how weird it would be to have your parent as a somewhat bad version of Siri. That actually seems even more strange to me. Would you want Siri to have your dead parent's voice? It's like that Black Mirror episode. So after the uh, shapes show up, we also get another scene at Catco where James tells a bunch of extras who don't say anything to go do some work. And Lena and James go to Morgan. And I kind of like how Morgan is used in this episode, in that everyone blames him, and he takes this as a reason for being even extra evil. Yeah, I didn't really get the logic that uh, Lita had where, oh, it must be Morgan, even though this is clearly a Kryptonian symbol, and there have been tons of alien attacks on this city. But no, it's this industrialist who's got a, uh, a beef with me. It's probably because Morgan's the biggest jerk that they know. And he did try and kill her before, so it makes sense that she would automatically assume it was him, because I think she really wanted the ability to put him behind bars for the rest of his life. I think they're just showing you that Lena is not perfect either, and therefore she's jumping to a conclusion here, and the conclusion is wrong. And it gives Morgan just a little more motivation to use this as an excuse to try and kill her again. Though I do quite like James's Having this opportunity to respond to Morgan with the line, you have Yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah, I've noticed the actor playing Edge. He's been a bad guy in other things, too. So I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's that guy again. He's going to be annoying, isn't he? I was saying that Edge is not quite as annoying as Maxwell Lord was yet. To me, I always will think of him as a good guy from Heroes. So, yeah, there is that. He, He was a bit... Dance a couple of times in Heroes, but he was a good guy. That show got weird sometimes. Going on with this plot line, we actually do see the, I, I think, touching if uh, a somewhat strange scene in Lena's office where Sam starts being quite the Scrooge 
with Ruby, who, as far as I can tell, is constantly abandoned to just hang around the L-Corp offices. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about Ruby. Like, every episode, she's very, very, like, uh, extreme to one side or the other. Like, she either... Super mad at her mom or super loving, which may just be, you know, she's a kid, but it something about it just, I don't know how to feel about it. Well, it could be because the mother-daughter's relationship is pretty tough, especially if you're for a single mom who's a working mom. And, like, they had it going pretty well, but I think the whole... Sam having an alter ego that's taking over and burning science into fields and stuff is adding just another hitch to that relationship because mom's tired because she went out on out for a walk and defaced public property last night. Though I do think it is a, almost an irony that Sam's gift to Ruby is the House of Elves sigil of Supergirls as a necklace, which coming from rain is somewhat amusing was that coming from rain or was it coming from sam i'm pretty sure sam wouldn't give that house sign to anyone rain wouldn't yeah. sam on the other hand that's part of the reason i think that they're two separate people it's kind of like the difference between car's human side and her kryptonian side i think there's no doubt sam does not know that she's rain still which makes you wonder how she's gonna react when she finds out well, it won't be pretty. No, but it's probably not going to happen for a while. So the next scene uh, regarding this plot line would be the setup for Rain killing a lot more people. Lena and James goes out to the docks looking for information on Morgan. They find what looks like a fresh sigil burned into the wall. And at that point, we just quickly get de-escalated by an assassin coming out and James saving Lena. So does Lena know that James is guardian? And if not, what did she think of that shield that just popped out of his arm? I don't think she saw it. Yeah, that's a good question. And has James been still doing the Guardian thing? We haven't seen him at all in a while, aside from in the alternate James. But I don't, I don't think we've seen our James's Guardian as much this season. Thankfully. No, I don't think we've... I don't think so. I don't mind Guardian. I just disliked all the stories and plots that they gave to Guardian. Yeah. I'm almost more bothered by Lena being the new Iris for this show, which basically is the person everyone has to lie to and never tell what's going on, and for some reason she never figures it out. I still can't cope with Lena not figuring things out. Yeah, I I really want someone to tell Lena or her to be like, oh yeah, no, I know. I had a feeling. I was just wondering when you were going to bother to tell me. We get back down to the prison scene regarding the cult leader who apparently has talked to disgraced Kryptonian priestesses from Fort Ross, which does also imply that there are yet again more Kryptonians hanging out on Earth that we still don't know about. But the one real question I had about this is how did people think about Supergirl basically entirely discounting him and uh, refusing to think that anything he said was true? Kryptonian arrogance. Also, he can't just something about his manner could be slightly unsettling. And she, to be fair, she has no proof to back up what he's saying. But yeah, I yeah, I think he's going to become more important later on. Because I think he has a better idea of what's going on than anyone does. Well, apparently he has more Kryptonian knowledge than all of the stored knowledge of how many galaxies that are stored inside of uh, 
Kara's mum's AI. Does he have more Kryptonian knowledge or just more knowledge on that particular subject? A fair, fair correction, yes. Definitely more on that particular subject. He's a domain expert. He's the expert system. Yeah, I, I think his the information he has as well as the people that he has talked to could become important later on, especially if Kara decides to say, hey, where are they? Because I need to talk to them. She might realize that she needs help from people that know more than she does. I think that after the dock attack, when Rain basically just slaughters a bunch of drug dealers, then that comes back to the DEO, where they basically find out, okay, all these people have been killed by heat vision. And and John really presents that, which is, while something he says might sound ridiculous, everything he's describing does seem to be coming true. So there's probably some truth buried in there that we do need to consider. And Kara gives a, a bizarre answer, I thought, which was basically of, if you have faith in something, you've given up yourself. And I don't quite understand that that degree of an anti-faith statement coming from Kara. I don't know if you guys noticed, but she didn't she look at, at Monel when she said that? I think she's having trouble trusting. Trusting in things other than herself because of how badly she's been hurt. So, well, yes, she did show some sort of connection to her faith again now that all this stuff is happening and she can no longer believe in Monel's love for her, which she could before he came back because her not knowing was sort of ignorance is bliss. So it's kind of broken her faith a bit and she may need that for the upcoming fight to be able to believe in something. Yeah, they could be connecting those two a little bit in how Kara is feeling right now. Now, we do get a couple more scenes with Morgan before we get into the last big fight of the episode, which was we see Sam looking at a screen, hearing how horrible Morgan is, and clearly they have this cue where they show that, oh, maybe Rain's deciding that this person needs justice, and Rain goes after Morgan, who, as one of the smarter things Morgan's done, has a lead-lined panic room. Yeah, I like that a little bit. Well, he is extremely suspicious of aliens, and I'm certain by now he has at least learned that Superman and Supergirl can't see through lead. Also, having lead lined is good protection from just about anything. Also, after the attack, we get the somewhat horrible statement from Morgan, which kind of aligns to all the horrible things that are happening in in our, our world regarding men in power these days, which was his line, I'm sure it's not the first time a woman who's gone crazy has attacked a powerful man. And that was pretty horrible thing to say. <laughs> yeah, he he's such a jerk. It does show how this show is definitely trying to stay current on issues that are, I think, going on in our current world. Yeah, because it has him saying that. And they're going to, he's probably going to be exposed big time. The bigger the pride, the harder they fall. Well, did anyone else have anything they wanted to discuss before we got into the big boom fight? Big Boom is a very accurate explanation, a description of that fight. The episode has all these things where it sounds like Kara is trying to figure out what's going on when uh, all she ends up doing is burning her sigil into the top of Kako. I think it was Kako. Effectively calling Rain out, Rain shows up, and they fight. Other than this, some odd banter between the two of them, I don't know if there really was anything going on here except for a fight with some, some nicely choreographed Christmas music and... Lots of things being blown up. Yeah. I have to say, like, when I watched it a second time this morning, I got really bored by this fight. Yeah, like, it's pretty epic, but I think the thing that stands out most about it is 
Supergirl starts bleeding and she almost she almost gets beaten to death. And that just leaves you wondering, how is Rain able to do that? Of what I've seen from Rain and what I've read in the comics, she is really powerful. There are scenes in those where she fights Supergirl and Supergirl loses. So the general implication is Rain is potentially more powerful. But I agree, this fight mostly just felt like they were running up against their budget for effects and how much they can put around streets to make it look like there's a big fight. I like the attempt for the Christmas party fight, but it did just sort of come off as a little dull. The worst problem I had with it is whenever these super people have fights, they don't try and take it out of the city. And they almost did, because they almost have Kara take her to a cargo ship and have the fight happen there. But then they go right back to the city again, where they're potentially killing lots of innocent people, which we don't see as they rip through floors and buildings and ceilings. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking about this earlier because at the end of the last season, we had Cat Grant making a comment about how she's on her hero's journey. And I'm, as a writer, I'm very familiar with the hero's journey. And there's, I think we're at the part of a story referred to as the approach to the innermost cave where she's going to face her greatest challenge yet. And there's usually with that a death and a resurrection. So I think we might be seeing that in some way. That car is going to be sort of brought back different. I don't know how that'll come out, but I do think at some point there will be some some literal figurative form of a resurrection with Kara. And then after that, I think is when she'll be able to defeat Rain. I would still suspect that the thing that will defeat Rain will be Ruby. That would still be my bet on how this is going to play out. But I think it'll take time. And I don't know how many episodes they're going to do on this. Because if this is sort of how Supergirl and Rain behave, that could lead to a lot of very dull episodes. So I'm assuming they're going to have to do something more interesting. Yeah, so far the fight between them has seemed to be focused on a small scale. But maybe Rain will start broadening her horizons. Maybe she'll go and start terrorizing other parts of the world instead of just that one area. Because she is the she is supposed to destroy the world, and there's corruption outside of that city. So I think she might disappear for a while, and you'll hear news reports about her, and they have to figure out how are they going to stop her. Well, that does leave us with the very bizarre cliffhanger ending they gave us, which is this fight was happening on Christmas Eve. They show Ruby coming downstairs on Christmas morning, walking up to her mother. Her mother turns, and they cut it. So they're toying that they're revealing to Ruby what's going on at that point, but we have no idea what they're actually doing. And now we have to wait for a while before we even Yeah, it was kind of weird. They kind of wanted it both ways with having two cliffhanger endings, because you have the the scene with Kara at the DEO like being intubated, and then it cuts to... A completely different feeling scene with Ruby and Sam. Yeah, because I saw Sam. She was like with the finger twitching thing she was doing and how her head was kind of cocked to the side. Those so far in the episode were signs that rain was starting to come through. So when she turns around, I think we're not going to see until the beginning of the next episode we get. Was that Sam or was it rain? And how do you tell the difference whenever she doesn't have her super villain outfit on well given that rain would consider ruby a mistake 
or not remember her at all. It should be pretty obvious really soon, but we'll we'll have to see because that that sounds like almost a, a nightmare of going down and having uh, your parent is now taken over by a super evil being. That's a pretty scary thing. Yeah, but would Raiden attack her? I think she's still in her stage of just killing off evil people. So, yes, she may see Ruby as a mistake, but would she attack her at this point? I do not quite get Rain's motivation. It's sort of truth, justice, and death. I don't... It feels like a one, two, magic happens, yeah. three thing. I don't, I don't understand how, how Rain gets to the conclusions she gets yeah. to. Some of the conversation made it sound like it's another being that's been passed down to Sam or something. Kind of like a soul or an entity that's been passed down through the generations, and Sam is just the latest person to have that. So there might be more of a story behind that that Kara can find through the connections that the preacher person, whose name I have trouble remembering for some reason, has. I would interpret that she is programmed as a destroying machine, and we're, we've seen this in The Iron Giant. We've seen this, I suppose, in Dragon Ball. We've seen this in lots of places where... A potential evil-destroying creature is dropped on Earth, and for some reason they don't know it all of the time or something like that, and they have to overcome it. And I still expect that will be Sam's journey for this. Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see. Eventually, they have to tell us. Did anyone else have any other thoughts about this episode they wanted to cover? Nope. I'd like to thank the Incomparable Network for hosting us. I'd like to thank also our audio editor, Seth Heasley, for making us sound much better than we are. Also, thanks to all you listeners out there. We'd love to continue this discussion on the Incomparable Facebook group and the member Slack channel and Twitter. Also, thank you, Brianna and Dan, for discussing the episode with me. Thanks. It's been fun. It's been great. This is one of my favorite parts of the week. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to do it again. Thanks a lot. <laughs>